Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm spending time with a new friend of mine, Ben Lee, who is doing home church in Upper East Side Manhattan in New York City. Uh, this is a pretty exciting thing. It's very different. They're, they've got some new and interesting ideas that I think you'll be interested in, and it may open the door a possibility to people who are going, oh, I'm not sure I could do that. If they can do that in this situation, you could do just about anything. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ralph. I'm really excited to be here. Let's go back a little bit. Tell, tell me about sure. how you came to know Jesus. Um, you know, was that a childhood thing? What happened as an adult? How did that work? How did you uh, feel called to do what you're doing? And uh, then particularly, I think people are going to be interested in the way that you're funding yourself because you're keeping your job going. And I grew up in a Christian household. My dad is a pastor, so I'm a PK. And uh, that, that's definitely not just uh, kind of a relational thing. That really did affect the way that I thought about church. I think growing up, I really uh, embodied the older prodigal son. I, I like to think that they were both prodigal sons, but I was the son who um, felt like I could really earn my place in the kingdom uh, by, by being the best son I could be and being the best son of a pastor I could be. And I actually wouldn't say I became a Christian until I actually stepped out of my dad's church in high school. Uh, I forget. I'm not even sure how I intended this, this uh, retreat that someone invited me on, or I think my, my dad's friend invited me to come, but it was in, it was a Pentecostal charismatic. I mean, I mean, as they short of snakes being uh, short of snakes being present, it was that kind of uh, retreat. And there was laying of hands, people falling over. And it was very different from the Presbyterian, uh, deeply reformed tradition that I grew up in. And uh, I remember we were, there was a ministry time and there was a missionary there who I don't remember anything about, but I do remember his name was also Benjamin. And he laid hands on me. And in that moment, um, the best way I could describe it is that I, the Holy Spirit came upon me and that, and that's something that I really believe that it was that I received the Holy Spirit. It wasn't, it wasn't really me reaching out that God came to me first. And from then on, it was a journey of me discovering, I guess, what God had in store for me, that what God created me for. And I guess a big part of that was becoming, going into ministry. After I became a Christian, I spent, I think I had a very typical youth group and college ministry experience. I was uh, involved in youth group. I was also involved in my college ministry. I went away for college. I wouldn't say that I, there was any real step forward in my journey. I mean, there were gradual steps. I believe that God was really growing me, but uh, I think a lot of my my understanding of Christianity was selfish. It was really about me. It was about what I could do to, once again, still earn my way into church. I would just, when I became a Christian, when I became a believer, it was really just about how I can be the best believer. You know, I was, I, and it wasn't, for example, and I remember my senior year uh, college ministry, I wanted to attend every single Friday night fellowship. So I, I, the, the, I, the thought of missing one was beyond me because obviously if you're kind of focused on works righteousness, you can't be missing any meetings. But I also knew that if you uh, showed up on time, you had to sit through an hour, hour and a half of Bible study, which was boring for me. So I thought, you know what, as a, I'm a senior I have a lot going on in my life. I could show up late to these things and just say, oh, you know, I got caught up. So I would, I would strategically show up 
an hour late to these things just in time to be there for the end to get credit for being there. And not that anyone was t- taking attendance for these things, but I would show up at the end uh, and then, of course, stay around for fellowship, which is what people really like. So, so All let, me, to say, let me just <laughs> clarify. So you were you were a legalist in non legalistic oh, yeah. situations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything was a legalistic situation for me i mean yeah. i i was hyper aware of the fact that you know people knew who came and people were aware of uh yeah you know i i i've always been very conscious i wouldn't say aware i'm very conscious of what people think of me if i was truly aware of what people thought of me i think i'd be more humble um but i'm conscious and that makes me more prideful and at times and then of course the swings the i swing to the other side which is to become insecure so um, you know, I, that's I, I'd like to talk about that for just a little bit because I yeah. know a lot of guys in ministry are are insecure. There is this thing, and we're trying to score points with God somehow by doing whatever. I grew up in a Pentecostal church that was more Presbyterian than the Presbyterian church you grew up in. I would go to <laughs> these uh, summer camps, and I would meet the real Pentecostals there. And there was a little too much fuss over speaking in tongues and, and what have you. I, I pray in tongues. But I would still say they, they made, you know, they, they were a little off balance. And, and that put me off. And, and I, I, I began to uh, realize in the environment I was in, I went to a Pentecostal Bible college. I didn't like a lot of what I saw going on. Uh, those guys were a little bit more off balance sometimes. Uh, we'd have these speakers come in for a week-long spiritual emphasis week or something sometimes they were a little over the top and i just didn't like it and somewhere along the way i figured out grace and Mm. grace to me meant i'm okay with god and and i don't really care and so and here's here's the thing that it allowed it allowed me um to admit who I am, to admit that I use bad language from time to time, um, to uh, say that kind of stuff in front of a congregation. And I, I begin to find it so liberating. In the, in the mm-hmm. early days of preaching, I was really worried about, is, you know, I'm getting this right, my theology's right. And, that, you know, mm-hmm. I, when you start a new church, you get challenged by all the uh, people from other churches that come in the door, and they all have their theology. And they tend to, by 30 percent of them want to argue with you and so I, I got behind that and i started freaking out over that and then it was like you know what you're probably not going to enjoy being in this church uh we 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 have a a wesleyan bent and there were some hyper calvinists that were coming out of europe uh there was a big ministry that was pretty famous in the 1970s in europe uh extremely calvinistic and those guys would come. They had a certain amount of pride. It was really an intellectual deal. And the first, I read the guys' books that, that, they, that they studied under, and I loved them. But uh, I met the guys, and I, every time I meet pride. And so I, I finally just got to a point where I, I would just say, you know what? This isn't the church for you. Day one, I, just <laughs> turn them away. I, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I don't want to hear that stuff. And you don't want to hear what I have to say. So, um, you know what? Thank you for coming and visiting, but goodbye. There is a place that you can discover mm-hmm. where you you stand on who you are on that ground. And the and the world could just go away. And, and, and mm-hmm. we don't have to care about it. And one of the things when I met you that impressed me 
is the, the way that you're starting out. Because most of us uh, in my generation, we started out um, slaves to money in that we, we have to be a full-time pastor. We cannot be bivocational. That's a loser. And so we're a slave to making budget. And, and so, you know, we gather people from other churches, whatever we do, we got to make budget, we got to make money. And so I dare not offend anybody. And mm -hmm. you're in a, you're kind of in a catbird seat because you don't have to worry about any of that. If, 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 if you pastor a church of two people and are happy with that for the rest of your life, that, that would be, if that's God's calling, that would be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, I, I, I think you're, you're positioned to get free from this prison that you're describing and I think it's a wonderful thing. Anyway, I interrupted you. Go ahead and share some more. Well, I'll say, I'll say about that, Ralph. I think you're giving me way too much credit than I deserve. I, I wouldn't say that I came into be so I am bivocational. I work full time at Columbia University, and then I do this home church um, with any bit of time. But <clears throat> I wouldn't say that I came to it with this from this place of. Uh, you know, really thinking about the theology of tent making or this humble place of being desiring to just spend my free time with God. I, I, I was in vocational ministry. And when God called me to being bivocational, I, I was quite angry at God for a good while. And uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm only now realizing, as I think we always do, looking backwards that I was like, God, it turns out you might know a little bit more about ministry than I do. It, you, you might know a little bit more about what is sustainable than I do. Uh, I, be, I was I became bivocational because, uh, so I'm, I grew up in New York. My family's here. Um, and, uh, I, we ended up back in New York after some time in South Africa and New York's expensive. And my wife and I, we needed to find a way to pay for rent. And, uh, you know, thankfully before ministry, I did have some work experience. So I got a job and I kept telling myself, well, this will be for, you know, a year, two years. Uh, I've been doing it for about three years now, almost yeah, about two and a half years now. And, I'm slowly realizing there might be a slightly longer term plan for God, but I've begun to sing the praises of being bivocational whenever I'm at exponential, which is where we met at the multipliers cohort um, or in, I'm in a fellows group uh, here with some other church planters. I'm always singing the praises of it because you're right. It, it does really free, uh, free you from the burden of having to please people, which I think God knew that if I were in a traditional setting, you know, I'm thinking about, I have a friend who is, an, is a church planter here in New York city as well, who has a much more traditional funding model. And uh, it would, it takes a lot more strength than I have to be able to tell the people who are giving you checks for sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to say, that's not how I'm doing church. I don't think I could do that. I know that I would say, give me the money. I'll do whatever you want. You know, throwing a show and a dance with it, a little singing and dancing with it too. So I, I definitely know I couldn't have done that. <laughs> oh, tell us, uh, you, you got my attention though, and you mentioned South Africa. I've been there three <laughs> times, I guess. I really love the place. Where were you and what were you doing? So I uh, spent two separate times in South Africa, and it's actually where I kind of to jump ahead of the story where I received my call to uh, to ministry. I was the first time I was there, I was working with YWAM. So I'm a YWAMer. Um, and serving with them doing their DTS, uh, I, that was the first, I mean, I grew up in church. I've been on short-term mission trips before, but I think 
it was actually a very humbling experience. I did it when I was 28 years old. If you know anything about YWAM, which is youth for youth with a mission and their DTS is uh, the average age is probably about 20. Uh, there was one girl in our group who was 17 and turned 18 during our outreach. So, you know, being a 28 year old with some 18 year olds, it's a really humbling experience. Uh, some of my leaders were years younger than me and, uh, you know, a lot less credentialed by earthly standards. You know, they didn't have like the degrees that I did and so forth. But being forced to actually do the things that the Bible challenges us to do, uh, no matter how ridiculous at times, uh, it has a way of showing you that, you know what, this is good enough. I think that's what I really realized that you can't add any sort of pizzazz or things on top of your life than what God wants for you. Right. Uh, and that's, that's what I was, I had always tried to do is to um, add things to my life to make it more than it is, or more than to, to, yeah, to just add and to give myself worth once again, in the eyes of people. But if, if you take that away, you, you know, take away these kind of comforts, take away any sort of illusions of being special, right? You're hanging out with 18, 19, 20 year olds. You're, you're clearly that you clearly have done something wrong at, a, at 28. If you're there, uh, it really, really helps you realize that maybe life there's it's not it, the life that God has called us to can be really simple, which is just do what he wants you to do every day. Uh, and it'll be more enjoyable than if you try and do these things. I mean, before ministry, that's what I had tried to do. I, I'd always been the guy that did the most um, interesting. I tried to be the most interesting person I could be, uh, whether it was, you know, having interesting hobbies, having cool things. It was, I, I tried to add to it. I still, I still struggle with that, obviously, but um, it was the first hint that maybe life could be simpler and ministry. I would say it isn't simple, but it has given me focus. I've never been one with you know, as a kid, I had too many hobbies. My mom always told me that I, I, I get interested in things really quickly and then I drop it when I move on to the next thing. And I can safely say that ministry has been the most boring thing that I've done that I've done for the longest time. You know, I've been focused on this thing, which now is not even now, you know, when at least when I was being paid for it, I could look at that and say it's a job. But now that I'm not even being paid for it, I still find myself doing it, even though it's boring and difficult at times. And I think that says something about how good it is to do the work of the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I, I kind of overcommitted right now. I am doing a lot of coaching. I do a blog, I do a podcast I, pretty much every week, well, every week. And so wherever I am in the world, I, I got to feed that monster that I created. And, um, you know, just learning to, 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 to let enough be enough. This morning in my devotions, I, I, I always keep three bookmarks in my Bible. And so usually ones in kind of Psalms and Proverbs. And I got over into Ecclesiastes this time. And then I think the, the second one is in Isaiah. The third one's in, the, in, good, in John right now. And so I, I kind of have this little routine where I, 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 it's like I, I want to read until I feel like the Lord spoke to me through the passage. Till you know that mm. the logos became Rama, and um, man, this morning I opened the Bible up and I'm in the eleventh chapter of Ecclesiastes, and two verses just back to back, not quite back to back, but almost, just just nailed me where I'm at. I mean, in, in a really positive way, really uplifting. And so I, I'm I'm keeping an electronic journal now. I, I've gotten away from I I got 
you know, I like to think on a yellow pad. And then I, I, I was journaling in a spiral notebook and I, and then I, I saw, you know, some of my friends are, are getting this electronic deal. It's like paper you can write on, but theirs are, are as big mm. as the yellow pad. This thing I got is nice and small. And um, it, it's, it actually is the same size as a Kindle Paperwhite. And I have a Kindle Paperwhite. I also have a, an e-reader. And then I got all this, this journaling capacity. And so I'm, I'm designing plans for my backyard, scribbling in there, doing all these things. But I, I, I wrote a couple things down. I actually just wrote the two verses out of Ecclesiastes because it really felt like the Lord was really reinforcing me. And I quit. It's like, I'm not going to be a slave. I, I learned this a long time ago. I'm not, I got three bookmarks in my Bible. I'm not going to be a slave to reading all three. I'm going to read until the Lord speaks to me because what he tells us to do is meditate on his word. And, and, you know, one thing that I learned early on is this concept of good enough. We, we hired a, a guy to be our, our um, I guess, executive pastor. We were growing like crazy. We moved into a new building, uh, doubled in attendance overnight. But suddenly the new building was eating us alive financially, and we just needed mm. help. This man was on our board. He, he, got, he made vice president at McDonnell Douglas, the aircraft company. Wow. The week before he left, or he told them he was leaving to come to work for us full time. He left all that to come work for our hippie church. And it was crazy. We were, we were a church of, 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 I mean, a lot of people who used to be in pharmaceuticals were now making sand candles for to and selling swap meat because the pharmaceuticals <laughs> didn't fit with the Christian life. Uh, and then we had a, a ton of carpenters and a bunch of aerospace engineers. It was a crazy mix of a church, but I remember this guy's name is Don Stewart. And one day um, we were, you know, we we're getting started. We we're still five years into our marriage, maybe. I'm not sure. And um, we bought our first house and, and it drained us, completely drained us. And, and uh, the washing machine died. And so he, mm. he came, this is before we hired him. He came to me after church. Uh, I, as I made a joke about it, I, I had gone out and bought a, a used washer for like 40 bucks and uh, I made some joke about it in church he comes up afterwards he goes where's your wife we're, we're going to Sears we're going to buy her a new washer so we we meet him at Sears him and his wife and he, and he goes here they are go pick one out I'm paying for it uh-huh. so wow. we dutifully pick out the least expensive one there of course and he chewed me out one side up and the other side down I mean why did you choose that one? Well, it's, it'll, it's good enough for us. No, that's not why you chose it. You chose it because it was the least expensive, didn't you? Mm -hmm. You're not looking out for your wife, are you? I mean, just, mm -hmm. and, um, <laughs> it, and, and so, so then he tells me this. He goes, look, I want you to learn the concept of good enough. If you need a Volkswagen, then a Volkswagen is good enough. This is the day of the VW bugs, right? Mm. cheap little car but if you need a mercedes then a volkswagen is not good enough only a mercedes mm. is good enough so you need to assess what's good enough and then go pick out a washer that's good enough and so mm. we ended up with something that was kind of mid-range and she she was queen for a day she got to pick what she needed in a washing machine i've tried to take what 
that guy Don taught me and apply it to my life in that today, reading Ecclesiastes, that one chapter, good enough. And, and, I, and I don't need more. And if I take that over into ministry, you know, I see a lot of churches where, you know, I, I, I get around a lot. So I see a lot of church campuses and I see these, they've just gone over the top with game, video games in the youth department, whatever. You got these kids for what, 80, 90 minutes on a Sunday and you're going to feed them video games because you're trying to impress everybody. Uh, well, that's not mm-hmm. what they need. That's not good. The video games aren't good enough. A highly relational a conversational environment with no video mm-hmm. games is what's good enough. And so yeah. you went over the top, but you didn't even meet the minimum by going over the top. And, you know, when we get those things settled in our lives, it, it, it really begins to free us from those insecurities that, that, that trying to dance to somebody else's tune. Um, anyway, I'm rattling on here a little bit. I, I did. I want to know why did, were you in South Africa twice? Did you do YWAM twice? Uh, no, uh, I, so I, during YWAM, I got called to ministry, prayer discernment, uh, and a lot of pushing back, actually. Uh, I decided to go to seminary, even though I didn't want to. And I really put God to the test. And I told him that if I'm going to go, he has to make it really clear. Of course, you never, you don't test God because the reason why I think we don't test God is because we're just going to be humbled beyond our ability to make decisions. Went to seminary and then, uh, Upon graduation, graduating, uh, I was fortunate enough to receive a fellowship uh, for uh, for ministry, and I, that allowed me to go back to South Africa for a year, where I was fortunate enough to work with a church there, as well as uh, a few different organizations, and do ministry, support these ministries, but also learn about try to learn about reconciliation in the South African context, because that's something that's really on my heart. I think that Christians in America, we do a lot of things well, but we don't do a lot of things well. And one of those is reconciliation. We're really good at further dividing ourselves, becoming more and more polarized, even within the church. And one of the things that I found interesting about the South African church, whereas our denominations, our our church groups that don't call themselves denominations are splitting constantly, the church that I was um, serving in South Africa, they were part of the um, uniting I also like they, they call themselves the Uniting Presbyterian Church in Southern Africa. First of all, I like the fact that they call themselves Uniting. There's yeah. this kind of sense of we didn't just unite; we haven't united. Yeah. We're we're actively uniting as Christians. And while I was there, uh, they were in discussions with another denomination. They, they they themselves were a conglomeration of I think three or four different denominations, and they were in the process of trying to merge with another denomination. Who you know, uh, and they were hammering out their differences in theology. And I thought that was fascinating because I've I've never heard of that in my life. I've never heard of uh of a denomination in america saying you know what there's a denomination over there they're a little different than us they believe things slightly they read the bible slightly different than us but you know what we're kind of on the same path let's see if we can get together that that's beautiful to me because uh i so doing ministry in new york city i have to be thinking about how to work together because christians i mean christians in america are a minority i think real christians people who are faithfully following the lord are a minority in america you come to New York city, you're a minority among a minority. Uh, and so we don't, I don't think anymore we can afford to say, you know what, uh, you have a slightly different view than me. I can't work with you. I'm going to separate from you. We have to say, you know what, 
you and I agree that there's a God. That's a check mark. You and I agree that that God took on flesh, came down and saved us. That's a check mark. I, if that's if you have that, let's work together because those two things alone make us a crazy one percent within a one percent here. So, uh, and I've always had a heart for trying to cross those boundaries because I'm a I am a theological mud. Even though I grew up in a uh, a Presbyterian church, I went to a Catholic university where I was really discipled by the Jesuits. Uh, while I was in college, I was also attending a you know a non-denominational evangelical church. Uh, then I went, I've served with YWAM, but then I've also worked with, you know, uh, yeah, Baptists and, uh, all sorts of people. I mean, when I was, and I also served brief, briefly in Spain with some, the weirdest combination, Dutch Pentecostal missionaries. So they were, uh, you know, coming from the home place of, in my opinion, what I think of as the home place of the Presbyterians or the reform movement. And yet they were, the, they were, you, you know, uh, Pentecostals. So anyway, all that to say, I love all expressions of the church. And I, that's what I was doing in South Africa. We were there. And that's actually where I began to think about church planting. Uh, mostly because if I'm honest, it was, it would have been very easy for me to church plant in Cape Town, not to say that it was easy to church plant in Cape Town, but I was enjoying this really odd space. So there um, being Korean American, being Asian, there really isn't a category in South Africa here in America. You know, we have all these different categories. If you, especially in New York or most parts of the U S I'm guessing definitely Hawaii and California, if you see an Asian person, you're not really going to bat an eye, but in Cape town where they have black, white, and colored, they had, they don't really have a place for East Asians and definitely not East Asians who are also American. And so everywhere I went, every church I went to, every neighborhood outreach I went to, people would just flock to me because I was unusual and it would have been so easy to just do ministry there, uh, relying upon my appearance. And um, they also just, you know, the credentials I had in my education threw a lot in my favor as well, too. Right. It would have been easy. And I think that's the reason. So even though I began to think about it there, God closed that door. Uh, he actually, uh, our visas actually got revoked. And then we had to leave the country, which is actually how we ended up back in New York. Um and then I had to wrestle through God. Why did you call me to something and yet close the door and realize that no, He still had a plan, and that plan was uh, to be bivocational and planting home churches here in New York City. 